Okay, so uh, Paulie Morris is joining us on a Friday to talk yeah. all things uh, music. Hey, Paulie, before we get to any music news or anything else, ask you how you're doing. The burning question around the room is what kind of vegetables are fueling Paul Morris's as um, he checks underneath? What do we got? French cut green beans today. Ooh, okay, mm. green beans. Now, I was going to use an ice pack, you know, the ones you put on a, you know, a, you know, when you're, you're, you're trying to swollen, those are right. the top sure. ice pack. Yeah. But I wasn't sure if I was going to get through the entire hour here. So right. <laughs> I went with the beans because I know the beans hold it. And then, yeah. I've got, then, then I've got like a, a rag wrapping it up so that when it kind of starts to soften. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, you know, drip on my, drip on my lap here. <laughs> sure. How, how pathetic is this, right? Black Sheep Radio with Ben McVie, Mark LeFave, and Chris Brown. Join the conversation at BSR Podcast on Facebook and at Radio underscore Sheep on Instagram and Twitter. Last night, I, you know, uh, what happens is, of course, the vegetables kind of freeze after they thawed a little bit and they clump together. And yeah. I, had, I had some peas and I had to do some work last night. So I took the peas the bag of peas to unclump them. I threw them on the floor to break them up and the bag split and the peas went off. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, so it's the French cut uh, green beans today. It's stuff I would never eat anyways. You know? so I, I'm taking notes for you. So the beans are advantageous because of their cold retention and their lack of dispersion upon hitting the floor. <laughs> sure. So, so, so far they're leading the way. Next week it's fries. Uh, <laughs> the pressure on what's what, what, what do we have for music news buddy uh black lives matter it's interesting with all this sort of thing you know when black lives matter re-emerged uh, after in the wake of george floyd and the murders there um we were looking at systemic racism everywhere in society not just the way police were dealing with people but the music industry has taken a good look at itself as well too and for an industry which created the R&B charts or the urban charts, they're looking at that and they say, why do we have this designation? Those of you who are fans of music know that this has been a problem for since, since the beginning of rock and roll, where many people believe that they took the ideas of black culture and appropriated it, changed it, took advantage of it. Uh, at the record company level, what goes on is that there is a pop division. When a record comes out by an artist, be it black or white or Asian or anybody, it is it is kind of diverted into one of two possible streams: okay, um, pop or urban. And when it goes into the pop field, it's it gets the advantage of first being played on. Uh, a, a wider range of radio stations and is exposed to a greater number of people and also gets the benefit of getting promotional dollars that the urban chart does not get. Okay. And so some people mm. feel that maybe this is, it's time to stop doing this. If you take a look at popular culture today in this era, in the 21st century, black music is the driver behind most culture. It's fashion, it's sports, and it's music as well, too. Hip-hop is the defining music uh, genre of this day. I know a lot of people don't like hearing that, but in terms of money and everything else, it's definitely there. And yet, at the record company level, it still reaches that indifference and that 
formatting, if you will, of being designated and diverted to a different way. A white artist has a greater has a greater chance of success in the pop world than a black artist does, in spite of the fact of the iconic records that are being made today. They are still uh, have that disadvantage. Even an artist as big as Beyonce still has to have her records funneled through the urban chart first before it makes it in pop radio, which is really, really strange. And we could go down the line. So there are a lot of artists that have acknowledged this. Uh, My pal Jeff Tweedy of uh, Wilco put out a statement weeks ago, came through an email to all his fans that he he acknowledges this disparity and that he's diverting at least 5% of his, all of his royalties to funneling the development of black music. Wow. And, um, this is, has been going on through. This has been going on for decades, and, and, and we're going to be talking about decades of music in our show today. And I'm going to talk about that because I'm talking about '60s today, and where it was, you know. So, so uh, watch out for that. I'm not sure how it's going to work, but I know for a fact that at the biggest music companies, they're thinking about eliminating their urban division completely. What that will mean, I don't know how they're going to deal with all these records. So. And this on the heels of the uh, Academy of Motion Arts uh, or Motion Pictures, Arts and Motion, whatever they call it. The Academy added a, a whole lot of diversity and who can vote and everything else. So this is good Still to see. Long, it. Still got a long way to go. And there will sure. always be those biases in place. Um, uh, but I think the idea is music is music. And let's stop putting a color on it. Let's, let's, you know, I mean, yeah, there's there's country and there's rock. Those formats are musically defined. But when it comes to popular music, yeah, some things are a little grayer, if you will, you know, and really don't need to be diverted as such. Agree. Agree. Interesting. So we're, we're endeavoring to, uh, this, this is kind of a redo because, uh, you know, Chris totally screwed the last oh. one up. <laughs> Blew it. <laughs> Blew it. <laughs> uh, we're talking, each of us are uh, talking about our favorite decade of music or the one which we feel is the strongest decade of, uh, you know, uh, please don't enter the 1790s or anything, but, uh, you great know. Great uh, fucking uh, decade for music. Great oh, decade for music. Oh, Handel was just rocking it. <laughs> But, um, yeah, no, we're going with uh, modern, uh, relatively modern recorded music. And so, um, I guess, Polly, do you want to lead things off? Or? Well, I just did a whole lot of talking right there, so I'm going to let somebody else go. After me. All right. <laughs> I, uh, okay, so I'm going, I'm going to nominate then Chris to go first, because last time he went last and he got shorted Whoa. on time. Yeah, you got a whole hour here, buddy. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's, hear, let's hear Kanye for okay. fucking talk 45 the, minutes. Talk the whole thing out, and then we'll just say our decade at the very end and goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, so I, I I finished I did last last time, um, so I, I was kind of banking on a little bit of uh, prep work while this the show was going on. So so we'll see how rusty this one goes. Okay, um, I, you, I think it's okay. Like I have it I have it all fleshed out. So we'll is see. This, is this kind of like the way it was with you in school? You had a math test in the morning, and you figured I'll figure it out when I sit down, and I got a pen in my paper, and the <laughs> Yeah. He just says go. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's. But but, you know, I don't know. I I have long. Uh, I I've always thought that that the pressure situations like forces me to rise to the occasion. But like over time, I've realized that that's bullshit because preparation is like so much more important than whatever fucking adrenaline boost you get from shitting your pants in the first five minutes of whatever you're doing. So, sure. Uh, but thankfully, like I've been, I, I, I put a lot of, like I, we all, I'm sure put a lot of work into this. I remember this was a really, really big one. Uh, so, so I have co 
copious amounts of notes. I can't remember. So last time what we did, we did just like a retrospective on the entire decade, right? Sort of. Is that the idea? Okay. So so for this one, we're doing a playlist again. I'm sure to to kind sure. of encapsulate some of the some of the key songs out of whatever decade we're going to be doing. Um, I was tasked with uh, the twenty. 10. So anything after 2000, essentially, because nobody wanted to touch it, uh, it's got a really bad reputation. I think it's safe to say that the, the 2000s and the 2010s um, are kind of what the 80s were for a lot of people um, growing up before the 2000s. You know, it's kind of like, oh, well, let's not for let's not talk about culturally the 80s because it was so, so inferior to the 60s, the 70s. I think the 2000s gets that a lot. And and I don't think that it's 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 just bias. I, I, I think there's a lot to not like about the 2000s and the 2010s. I mean, I, I, I grew up during um, those those are my formative years, especially culturally through music. A lot of my music, I, I a lot of the music that was on the radio was just, uh, in hindsight, just just a whole bunch of bullshit. Um, you know, it, a lot of it is just. Yeah, I know, I know, uh, Mark. Not to give it away, but you're going into the '90s, and and I think one of the biggest criticisms, especially in the '90s, is is you know the the the. Um, the commercialization of of let's say like like uh, grunge for example you know it was a very pure thing and then it, it got commercialized by the time by the time the 2000s and the 2010s came around that commercialization it was just solidified so you, so you had um you know uh, before an album came out you had the image was the first thing that these bands would work on. You think of bands like Limp Bizkit or, or, or any of this shit that nobody even likes to talk about anymore. <laughs> but that's not to say, you know what I mean? Like bands that like, you, nobody even, you, nobody even mentions anymore. Corn, like they're doing their nineties tours, but, but outside of that, nobody really talks about them anymore because it's just, it's bad. Right. It, it, it's anyways, well, you know, to be um, fair, yeah. to be fair, every decade has got garbage in it. You know, you, mm-hmm. you kind of have to sift through a lot of songs to get the cream of the crop. The thing about, you know, the the, the more recent uh, 20 years is that we know it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It's interesting when you pull up, and I've done this, is you pull up top 100, the top 100 of, of 2001, and you take a look at it and say, what is this garbage? But, you know, if I pulled up the list of, let's say, 1966, and I do it, there's a lot of crap in there as well, too. Indeed. Music, music of course, is beyond a top 100 hits list, but, mm-hmm. you know, every decade is again, got some stuff that's kind of, you know, make you wince, wondering where it is. And, and I think... You know, the thing about the last 20 years worth of music, I think we need another 20 years to take a look at it in retrospect to see what truly was great out of it. And there's going to be a lot of things that are going to come out. And I'm sure you're going to address them right now. Out of the yeah, exactly. Years that are amazing, you know. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and like Polly said, like, you know, I mean, every decade has garbage. I just think that the dumpster is bigger now. We just have more <laughs> capacity wow. to take in more garbage because there's just more music available to us so master of exactly. analogy mark lefebvre yeah exactly <laughs> this is good so this is actually that's two of the main points is, uh, that you guys covered there with with one of the reasons why i think and i genuinely believe that the 2010s is the best 
decade for music, but it, it is a little bit of a technicality. But le- I'll I'll just get into it before without all the preamble. I bought myself enough time, so we uh, noticed. I, yeah, there you go. Now <laughs> <laughs> we're back so to So everything. Even. So so this is these are the notes that I had from before. So I'm going to paraphrase from that. Uh, so it says um, everything after the year 2000 gets a bad rap. Part of it, I think, uh, especially in lists like this, has a lot to do with a lack of representation in the rock genre. I think a lot of people. Uh, you know, a, a lot of a lot of these discussions are skewed, are, are skewed um, like like rock and roll, and 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 I and I can understand why that is, and it's because it was such a force in 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 the sixties, seventies, and nineties. Um, but but you know now it's not so much. Uh, it's not even really that much of a major player anymore when you when you consider um, how music has evolved. Uh, I think one of the one of the things uh, one of the reasons why the twenty tens gets a bad rap too is kind of like what Polly was saying. You know, again the sixties, seventies, nineties those those big decades that you that you really you really talk about uh, on a regular basis. We've had thirty, forty plus years to distill and pull music out of those decades and, and, you know, throw them into the annals of, of music history. So like something like, um, Nick Drake comes to mind, right? There's a guy that was never popular, uh, when, when he was releasing music and then decades after his catalog was, was, was discovered. And, and now he's, he's lumped into the sixties music when in reality he's, it's, it's, it's a little bit cloudier than that way. So I, so I think, you know, there's still time for, for, for a lot of people to pull gems out of these decades because you know it, they're still relatively fresh um so but my main my main point with the 2010s being the best decade in music is that it's the most diverse eclectic and accessible decade in music history and i think cultural history in general uh the decade benefited from all the sounds that, and experimentations that came before it um but it also uh drew on and was shaped by technology in ways that we've never seen before uh, the, across all genres uh, whether you like it or not I know a lot of people don't like the, uh, the integration of technology into music I, I know especially in the 90s there was a period there where people were very very against it um, and, and probably before as well uh, I'm sure Pink Floyd got into a lot of shit from it, but uh, if that's the kind of stuff that you like, uh, you know, it, it's a, certainly evolved. Uh, I think streaming services and um, uh, uh, super phones in, pe- in every pocket has, has completely changed music um, for the better, in my opinion. Um, there's more ears for everybody. Uh, there, there's more songs out there for anybody to listen to as well. Um, the, the advent, I think, uh, of cheap... Uh, technologically advanced recording equipment has made every basement uh, or garage basically a radio uh, a recording studio so it's it, it the result of which uh, completely democratized music production so you no longer have to have a huge uh, production budget and 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 go to these and 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 be accepted by the ruling class of 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 uh, music producers you can create whatever you want you can put it on soundcloud and it can take off and build you can build your career from that um one of the beautiful things about the internet um it's it's a lot more organic i think than people give it credit for uh especially when when you look at uh, a lot of people wax poetic about you know the old days of <laughs> of, of playing playing at a uh, one big gig at a, at a music festival and and that 
becoming the basis for your successful career. Whereas that's kind of the same idea, except it's a little cheaper to pull off nowadays and you have a little bit better chance of getting found on the internet. Um, you know, uh, nowadays too, because the people aren't making as much music from radio play, uh, or album sales, um, you're getting more people uh, having to go out and tour uh, to to get to garner uh, income to to make a wage essentially, and because of that, you know, there's been more concerts than ever before. Uh, not now, obviously, because of COVID, but uh, music festivals, um, it, uh, world tours. It's never been easier to see your favorite group, provided that they're still alive and still you know talking to each other. Um, and then you got social media, another thing. Hey, it or love it but i mean you you get to connect with directly with your favorite artists you could send a message to you know beyonce if you really want it it's not guaranteed that she's going to read it but like you never were able to do that outside of sending like a, a mailer or fan whatever mail. to like her fan mail um you know so uh there's just so much here i mean the 2010s too i, I specifically that decade you got new music from Metallica, U2, Paul McCartney, Daft Punk, Springsteen, Radiohead, Paul Simon, and all of them were good. Like these are these are legit records. Like it's not just like swan songs from people that's, mm. that that should no longer be like those specifically. Sure, granted, there, there's a lot of a lot of uh, artists nobody cared about, uh, and I think also. Uh, from a Canadian perspective, um, you know, it's, I think it's the best decade for Canadian music ever. Uh, there's never been, there's never been a time when Canadians have been so like, so central to pop music. When you think of like Drake or Bieber or, uh, like Sean Mendez or Arcade Fire. And then you had like this whole thing in the 2010s too, with mu musicals just completely t overtaking people with like Frozen being one of the, one of the biggest soundtracks ever to sell and then you have the Hamilton um, uh, with um, what's his name um, Lin-Manuel you know, yeah. Lin-Manuel like there's just so much I mean I'm, I could be cherry picking and I'm, and I'm sure you know there, there's 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 lots of musicals across the decades as well but it felt a little bit bigger and i mean they broke records also so that but that could have something to do with uh distribution um as far as as far as uh, some of the songs that i'm going to be including on or the, or the albums specifically that that i think are are really real standouts um not to go too long-winded because i'd love to hear what all you guys say about your stuff too um I think uh, some of the some of the biggest albums that that really move music forward. You have uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy from 2010 from Kanye West. I think it's one of the most uh, inventive albums ever made. Um, uh, hip hop or no, um, I, it's it was it's largely it's widely regarded as one of the best albums ever made. Um, I, I Japan Droids. You know, uh, I don't know if you ever listened to Japan Droids. But their album um, Celebration Rock in 2012, Great you know, album. it has that grit. It has that grittiness that 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 a lot of people like out of the 60s and 70s. Um, you know, Frank Ocean, Bonnie Vare, Kendrick Lamar, uh, To Pimp a Butterfly. There's just so much. It's such a dense. Um, 
and and high caliber decade of music and uh yeah i I genuinely believe it's the best i'll just i'll just leave it at that i think one of the one of the key turning points i think in the last 20 years has been i think you touched on too is music streaming and what music streaming uh did is it it eliminated the gatekeep the gatekeepers in the business and many of us used to be those gatekeepers we were the ones that selected music that we felt was the best that you should hear and and as a music programmer at a a rock radio station you know i was acutely aware that the music i was picking was the most accessible stuff but not necessarily the best um i would accuse that there is a whole decade of nickelback and nothing not going i'm not going to accuse them but what they created was almost like a cookie cutter approach to music with one nickelback there were 400 bands that sounded like that yeah um there there's a hundred bands that sound like three days grace these days it's this machine that's kind of actually worked against what made at least rock music so creative and inventive it made this this problem but what the internet and streaming did said you know what you're your own music director you can discover and find this music on your own and i think that's been the marvelous thing what's really interesting though as though you picked you picked out all these great records part of me is kind of misses the old gatekeeper if you're you know particularly you're older you're saying so what's big today what's mm-hmm. the big song of summer and i have to really I has, I'm not sure what the answer is. It may be because I don't live in that world anymore. I'm too busy, like most of us are, jumping around, discovering everything. I kind of miss that, you know, that that sense of mass popularity, the song or the three songs or the album that the entire world is listening to. And that doesn't happen anymore because it is so diverse. It is spread out so wide. What is big to you may make no sense to anybody else and the other way around as well too exciting and a little uh, i don't want to say disconcerting but yeah just just weird you know yeah you just you just take a look at some of those some of the the more recent especially last year the the festival music festival lineups and and it speaks to that because they're all over the place right you know like you, you you go to you can no longer find like a, a rock music festival or a or a, um, an indie music festival that doesn't have you know Ariana Grande also headlining or whatever. You know, it's just so diverse nowadays. You know, it'll be, it's like when you take a look at the Coachella lineup, which is the marquee event, for instance, and you look at it and you look at the top line, you recognize, oh, I know those ones, and then you see the fifty other artists under there, and you say, who the fuck is this? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And this is the biggest festival, and it's the one time that I feel completely disconnected from what's going on. Yeah, I really is. I know some of those artists are really, really small, but they have, you know, when you're building a festival and you're a promoter, you're trying to create a vibe, <laughs> and that's what a lot of it is. But man, it can be strange. You I just want- feel like I don't know what's going on anymore. I wonder right. if anyone. I wonder if anyone saw the Woodstock poster and thought, "Who the fuck is that?" <laughs> like Jimi Hendrix. Like, who right? Is this but I guy? mean, let's not forget what Woodstock's a great example. <laughs> I mean, you you had uh, you had uh, uh, Joan Baez and Sean Anna sharing a stage. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But, Where it, it's a it's a real mixed bag sort of thing. And and like Paul was just saying, there's a little bit of everything in there to to please the crowd. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I still can't believe Sean on off played Woodstock. That is something else, man. Um, so Chris, Chris, I want to ask Chris one question. What's yeah, what's, sure. the, what's the what's your favorite song for the last twenty years, and then favorite album? 
Um, that's a really tough one. I mean, I I like indie rock. So uh, over the last twenty years, my favorite record would probably be Funeral by um, Arcade, Arcade Fire. Fire. Mm-hmm. That's a personal choice. Like I don't know if it's technically the greatest album, but I, I mean, it's just something that I that that I hold close to me. Um, I, I I think the the greatest album is probably my beautiful dark twisted right. fantasy it's, it's interesting when you brought up your list earlier is that you had that album which many people think is one of the greatest hip-hop records ever yeah and then you brought up japan droids which couldn't be more indie exactly you know than, than the entire list and i love that and that's what i love about that list that you had it's just yeah. the diversity of it it's like that's what i really love about the 2010s is like you know i i think like i said before like i i think a lot of people shit on it because rock music was shit and and but just just because it was shit doesn't mean there wasn't so much other stuff that was great um like the down tempo stuff i mean I, i'm i'm a little biased too because like we we talked about it the last recording about bonnie Vare. like i'm a huge fan of Bonnie Vare and I love what that guy's doing I love Kendrick Lamar all of these guys I, I think you know they're really the, I, especially hip hop nowadays there's there's a lot of people people say that, it, that with that mumble rap bullshit and, and all this stuff about how they're they're not talking about anything meaningful and then you go down and, and, and find me a rock artist that 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 with the lyrical depth of somebody like Kendrick Lamar across history. I mean, there's there's a handful of them. Yep. So I, I don't I don't know. Yep. I'm going with uh, a decade that I feel it, it's a weird one in that it was the beneficiary of so much that happened in the decade before. My decade is the 1970s. And there were a couple of things that I thought set up the 70s really well. First and foremost is the breakup of the Beatles. Um, you were mentioning just a second ago, when we got, by the time we got to the end of the 90s, grunge had been so watered down and you had creeds and you had the, you know, these puddle of muds and these sorts of bands that were just sort of beating a dead horse at that point, but, but benefiting from it. Um, there, there, there will never be another Beatles, right? Um, it's not like there were huge successful artists who were ripping off the Beatles, although, you know, you had your odd Mott the Hoople and that sort of thing, but it couldn't be redone. The Beatles just could not be redone or refabricated in any way. And so um, it, it, it sort of broke some shackles, I think, on music that this juggernaut known as the Beatles were no longer. And, and, and it sort of uh, allowed... Uh, popular music as a whole to sort of go, okay, let's try a whole bunch of different things. Um, Also from the 60s, you had the payoff of a lot of um, social progress, particularly with race and with women, uh, with the civil rights movement and and, uh, women's lib and the rise of feminism. Uh, it, it, It put in place... Uh, a lot for the 70s for various artists of color and and female artists it opened a lot of doors for them uh, also in the 70s in terms of rock music i've always thought that rock gets really good when there's economic strife 
And in the 70s, and even to a degree in, in North America with the OPEC oil crisis, there was a lot of economic uncertainty. And rock gets good. Rock gets angry. Rock gets simple. It goes back to the garage. It goes back to three chords. It goes back to angst and anger and all of those emotions when the economy's in the tank. I mean, in the early 90s, we went through a recession here in North America and grunge all of a sudden showed up. I mean, the charts literally went from Jesus Jones right here, right now to smells like teen spirit. And it all sort of revolved around this time when there was a great deal of economic uncertainty and lo and behold, rock got mad again and it, it started to, it started raging again, you know? Um, and also I give a nod, speaking of distribution, I had to go to my favorite method. The 70s were the last decade where vinyl was king. The long play record, when you bought a record and listened to the whole thing because it was a record. It wasn't a collection of a few number one hits with pablum thrown in all around it. So that's why I'm going with the 70s as sort of my umbrella. But you also look at the fact, so I mentioned that, you know, the Beatles are gone Let's blow it up. And, and if you look at the 70s and all of the musical movements that either A, started or B, really flourished in the 70s, you've got funk, you've got punk, you've got arena rock, you've got disco, you've got glam, you've got folk and metal and new wave and even rap I would throw in there because Sugar Hill Gang was, you know, 1970s stuff. So even rap in its infancy, in its infancy was found in the 1970s. And then if you look... At sort of the um, uh, musical godfathers or godmothers, sorry, um, that happened in the 70s under punk. You've got the Sex Pistols and Clash and Iggy Pop. Disco, you've got the Bee Gees. Rock, some of Rock's biggest juggernaut bands flourished in the 1970s. Zeppelin, Stone, Sabbath, Floyd. Um, look at women again, and, and the, the women who, who really took off in the 1970s, Stevie Nicks, Joni Mitchell, Donna Summer, Patti Smith, Joan Jett, Carly Simon, Linda Ronstadt, Roberta Flack, Olivia Newton-John, and Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive, is an anthem to this day for women. And then, uh, finally, uh, just as I sort of sum up all of the notes and things that I had originally meant to mention, if you look over the 1970s and go from the start to the finish of the decade and look at all the artists who had number one hits the, the the variety the diversity is remarkable you've got the guess who bj thomas bg's john denver elton john the eagles the commodores paul mccartney and wings stevie wonder tony orlando and dawn and the cars all had number one hits in the 1970s and i don't think you'd find a more we're talking about a festival poster imagine mm -hmm. the number one hits of the 70s showing up on a festival poster has no rhyme or reason it to me is the last decade that um that, like in 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 the decade the the years that we've been mentioning recent years it there is no doubt that hip-hop is king it is the one dominant musical genre and it just if, if you're releasing hip-hop you stand a much better chance of having a number one record or a number one hit whereas back then you could pretty much do whatever you wanted still and a, a whole bunch of different bands and different types of music were celebrated and 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 you look at number one hits and you'd go from you know, you go from a Tony, a Tony Orlando and Don, and then the next thing you know, the the, the Bee Gees are there. It, it just, it, it it was all over the map, and that's what I love so much about the 1970s. I, I just uh, and and one more thing, when you when you're talking about looking back on years and really, 
you know, look, looking back on a decade after 20 years or so, you, you've had a little bit more time to refine what was good and what was bad about it. The 70s, if you'd asked me this question 20 years ago, I would have said the worst musical decade was the 70s. Honestly, I didn't like it at all. And the 80s always gets dumped on. I had a really <laughs> hard time deciding between do I go 70s or do I go 80s? There's so much good happened in the 1980s. It's looked back on as a sort of umbrella of, again, sort of a pablum-like decade, but there's a lot of ingenuity in the 1980s and a lot of new things that were introduced that really turned music on its ear. So um, I'm still sticking with the 70s. I, I think it is uh, music's best decade. You know, I, I talked about how streaming in the last 20 years kind of blew everything wide open. And, and to that, keeping in constant with that, you brought it up here that it, things were so diverse. I grew up in the 70s. I was a teenager through those years. And if I, when I look back on it, things were so much simpler. First off, FM was there, but we're... FM Rock had emerged, but it was still a, an outlier in the greatest yeah. scene thing. And a lot of our homes, especially our cars, didn't have FM radios. It was totally AM. There were essentially five, like five formats. There was news talk. There was easy listening. There was a country station. Um, and then there was a pop station. And the pop stations, by virtue of the fact that there were so few formats – served everybody that's yeah. why there was so much diversity you know i grew up with a tell i grew up with a black and white tv you don't know what that is it had 13 channels you had to actually get up off your ass and go over and actually turn a dial by the way there was no channel one they didn't allow channel one you know there was just Eight. channel two through 13 <laughs> so there's actually 12 channels don't forget you uhf up, though paulie don't forget uhf you literally had to put a coat hanger on the back of your tv to pull it in and there was this some television station from buffalo new york god knows what it is but i mean it's it was from outer space in yeah. my what is this UHF thing, you know, I this know, right? second dial on your TV? But if you grew up in southern Ontario, if you were lucky, you got six, maybe seven radio or television stations. Same thing with radio. It was simple. So radio had to be all things to all people. And it was glorious because you did hear all that stuff. You heard bubblegum and then you heard hard rock. You heard, you heard mainstream music. You heard some country crossover hits. It was, I'll be honest with you, you're right. It was glorious. It really was. Yeah. Now it's, it's wide open, you know? And so it's just, if, if you start and manually go down the radio dial, just the FM dial, you'll spend an hour before you get from one end to the other, just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Right. Let alone the AM dial. So it's, it's it was different it, for sure i'm going to jump in with my decade here before paulie gives his because his is the best decade let's all let's all just be fucking honest here <laughs> i'll let him explain why in just a bit but uh i've gone with the 90s and um you know, i mean you guys have uh, lent actually to a couple of my uh my points here i think that the 90s was the end of the album i think that everything after the 90s became a lot more about singles um you know, i mean streaming became a lot more popular we had ipods we had all this kind of stuff and people weren't listening from track one through track 12 on an album anymore they were just listening to the best two Two songs from every album that they could possibly find and that's yeah. there's nothing wrong with it but it really took away that hey you know what I'm gonna sit like I honestly a couple days ago I sat down and I listened to uh, MTV uh, the Nirvana Unplugged just because Chris had mentioned it recently uh, on one of our shows and I, I sat there I listened to every fucking song and every time a new song came on I was like 
that's a great fucking song. And mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't think that that happens as much anymore. I think that the nineties was the, um, the, the real introduction of a boom in music distribution from uh, the CD. I think the CD made uh, music a lot easier to, uh, to collect. Um, yes, it missed a lot of the cool things that were on vinyl. Like, you know, I mean, you open it up and uh, the, the album art and all that kind of stuff was lacking. But you could get a Columbia House membership and get about 500 CDs for about $8. <laughs> and yep. it, was, uh, it was good stuff. And you could get a lot of different music that way. Um, we'll get into some of the music that sort of emerged in the uh, in the 90s. Um, I think the big one, and Chris actually mentioned that this is is the best time for Canadian music. I would I would say, in my opinion, at least, that the 90s was really just like that was. I would agree. We, we, we talk about the godfathers. Ben mentioned the godfathers of, of rock or the godmothers of rock. I think a lot of the godparents of Canadian music came out of the 90s. If you look at the hip, if you look at whether you like her or not, Celine Dion. Um, again, whether you like her or not, you ought to know. She sold a fucking ton of albums. Mm-hmm. Alanis Morissette is another person mm. that had a, you know, a, a huge decade. So I just think that they, I mean, you, you talk about being the, the door openers or the gatekeepers for these for this new breed of Canadian music, the Drakes and the Shawn Mendes and the Biebs of the world. Um, they, you know, I mean, amazingly, Justin Bieber owes a lot to Celine Dion. <laughs> um, I think uh, almost a new wow. genre of music that came out in the uh, in the 90s, and uh, this is much to the chagrin of many people, is new country. Um, you I mean, you didn't have On the Road again. You didn't have uh, the, the Highwaymen and these types of things. You had Garth Burr and you had uh, friends in low places. You had Brooks and Dunn. And again, much to the chagrin of many people, but much to the pride of many Canadians, you had Shania Twain come out in the uh, in the 90s and completely revolutionize the look of country music um, for, for, for a lot of females and may have actually kind of um, pigeonholed a lot of female country artists to not being popular because she had a certain look that I think took over that uh, that genre of music and still and still does today. You look at uh, artists like Kelsey Ballerini and uh, yes, they have great voices, but they are uh, they are beautiful, beautiful women. And I think uh, Shania kind of opened that um, up in, in, in country music. I think that '90s rap. Again, you start talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know the, I know the fucking Sugar Hill Gang came out, <laughs> came out with a song in the '70s. But in, in reality, um, you I mean rap really? I think got its got its foothold in the '90s um, with NWA. I mean the the emergence of NWA, and then all the like, NWA is like the fucking Avengers. You can have NWA, but then you can have all these solo albums that come out from the guys in NWA. Um, yeah. So you mean Dr. Dre? Um, becoming one of the best producers and, ta- and talent finders in uh, in rap history with you know, I mean being able to to bring guys together like Snoop Dogg and, and all that West Coast rap um, and then of course 90s was also known for the the whole East Coast West Coast um, rap 
war, I guess, is what it's uh, what it ended up becoming. Um, and again, you, you you bring two totally different styles of the same genre of music together, and uh, you get to see how different how different the same genre could be. I don't recall, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe Polly could could talk about this more. I don't recall an East Coast versus West Coast rap. I don't recall there being a big difference in that type of sound from one side of the country to the other. Sorry, uh, sorry, rock music, but with mm. uh, but with rap, it's it's it was there was a huge difference, and uh, as I said, it came it actually got to be a war. I think that um, you know, I mean Benny. It's funny because Benny talked about you know I mean Stevie Nicks and, and Joan Baez and all these like phenomenal female artists, and I hate to bring up these 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 female artists in the same. Uh, conversation but the Spice Girls came out in the 90s and uh, again like them or not they were an international phenomenon they really lent to that whole girl power thing they were like they were like Barbie dolls that sang and I think that uh, I think that that was uh, that that was really cool uh, obviously girl bands the other side of that would be boy bands so you've got kind of the uh, maybe the end ish of new kids on the block I don't really know mm-hmm. how long their career lasted maybe three years but you were they started in 19 19- 1988-89 so they were kind of at their end For in the 90s early 90s so they were yeah they were they still cer- big. yeah and they certainly uh, lent to the backstreet boys and uh, later on in the decade uh nsync basically every band that lou perlman could uh, could put together um <laughs> and again when you get into um yeah, i mean posters on your walls and, and massive cd distribution Fucking Justin Timberlake, that guy, of course, is going to do quite well. He's going to be on every girl's wall. He's going to be in every girl's uh, CD collection. So, um, and then uh, the last thing I have, I think, would be the most obvious of the '90s is uh, the emergence of that uh, of that Seattle sound and uh, starting to get uh, the Nirvanas and the Soundgardens and the Pearl Jams and just all these bands that uh, really were the voice of at least at least my generation. They were the voice of the '90s for me. Uh, and 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 those, you know, I mean, a lot of people might think, ah, those guys are all kind of the same. Well, then throw in a, a Smashing Pumpkins, which I think has a, a a lot of a different sound than that rage against the machine again like it's just all these bands that i mean it's it's been what fuck 30 years since the beginning of the 90s that's disturbing um (laughs) i still listen to that music every single day not every once in a while not i'm gonna sit down and listen to some 90s rock Every single day I listen to 90s, 90s rock of, of some sort, 90s music, whether it's XM Fly on, uh, on Sirius, which is all 90s hip hop, or if it's uh, Lithium and it's all 90s rock, that's all I listen to is 90s music. And not to say that, you know, I mean, music died in 1999 or, you mean, Y2K killed music, but um, I just think that uh, for my, for my when, when music was important to me, the nineties was the nineties was it, and fuck, there was some good music back then. Yeah, real quick, sure. you mentioned the Smashing Pumpkins. The Smashing Pumpkins in the mid nineties were carrying single handedly rock music. Yeah. I anyway, I mean, in ninety four, Kurt Cobain is gone, and the whole grunge thing is shaken to its core, and you have the introduction of rap into rock, and yet the Smashing Pumpkins. It reminds me a lot of Van Halen in the seventies, in that you know rock was getting a little bit tired, and you had these bigger 
arena juggernauts and uh, disco is making its way onto the scene and all of a sudden Van Halen comes out and it's like, wow, this is something completely different and it's yeah. really heavy and it's very rock. And, and the Smashing Pumpkins were not a grunge band, but they were, in my mind, in 95 when Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness came out, they were carrying rock and roll on their shoulders yeah. for sure at that time. Yeah, as far as as far as hip hop goes too in the nineties, um, you know, there's the Wu Tang clan. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even mention that. I didn't even mention that. They're, they're, Shame they're on me. He, like just massive. And I, that's what I loved about 90s hip hop more so than hip hop now is I love the crew. Yeah. Like that element of the crew and like they all have their unique sound. They yeah, all go yeah, through yeah. their producer. You touched on it a lot. It's like the East Coast, West Coast thing. Kind of like that. That's my. That's one of my favorite things, like like the, of '90s hip hop that I wish there was more of. You still have it a little bit, like ASAP Rocky. Not to get too far into it, they have a crew, and and you know Kanye has people that he rolls with and stuff. But like there was that team sport mentality about '90s <laughs> yeah. hip hop that I really loved. Eminem and tried it with uh, D12, yeah. but that just didn't. Uh, it didn't pan exactly, out yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of stuck going back from something you said like five minutes ago that uh, that uh, NWA were the Avengers of hip hop. You know, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and and, and the East Coast West, East Coast West Coast thing you talked about, which was truly real at the time, it's kind of like a DC Comics versus Marvel. Yeah, universe, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> And also the the only other one thing I want to say about the '90s was uh, shout out to Disney made a lot of great music in the '90s too, like the the Disney movies Absol- and stuff. Absolutely, got to be some and of the best stuff. I ever. didn't, yeah, and I didn't mention this earlier when Ben was talking about the '80s, but I think in terms of movie soundtracks, the '80s fucking takes it by a mile, like mm. by a mile. You get don't, into the '90s, you get into him. the He's '90s, singing "Power of Love," everybody. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't even, coming. Don't well, let see, do it. you forced out a Huey Lewis mention, so <laughs> no. Uh, I just think, I mean, as you got into the 90s, you got into more movies like um, like Gladiator and Braveheart. So you had more like uh, instrumental soundtracks. But the 80s, man, like with The Breakfast Club and Top Gun and oh, yeah. Pretty and Pink. Back to the Future, of course. Dirty Dancing. Um, yeah. yeah, like it was just, it was a great, uh, it was a great movie for a decade for soundtracks. So I'll give 80s credit on that one. <laughs> Mr. Morris. Okay. My turn. Um, you know the, the thing about every there's no one great decade they all have their merits they all have their artists they all have their innovation um, every every decade depends upon your perspective you know when you grew up with those records they are the greatest records in the world to you and it's difficult to take a record from that came out 20 or 30 years ago and say this one's better and said like I don't care it's interesting I listened to this podcast with Ozzy uh, talking with Rick Rubin and he was talking about his son Jack and Jack is asking his father why do you love the Beatles so much and Ozzy had trouble to articulate it because he says I don't get it I don't get the Beatles the Beatles mean nothing to me so it's as we go through what decade is better you know they're all great it all depends upon sure. your point of view I will start with that really lame comment an observation <laughs> Uh, I'm covering the '60s, and I was a kid when this was all going on. So, but I got this—I got to encounter the the '60s through my brother's record collection, and and through TV media and all the rest. And certainly, history has given me a chance to kind of look back in this era, and I call it the era of the vo- it was a volcano of music. It was a volcano 
of innovation is when the music industry, every kind, literally erupted. And it was against a, a, a real tumultuous time in which there was a lot of uh, a lot of political and social unrest taking place. It was all done in the background of that. And music was young. It was, you know, there were no oldsters. The oldsters fell off to the, the wayside and music was dominated by young people trying to do something different that their parents had set up. You know, when we went into the 60s, it was kind of lame. It was really, really soft. And then... And then the Beatles and the British invasion, and then things really, really started to change. I can go through a list of innovations here. You know, you know, it was the era of the the electric guitar. This first synthesizers took place. FM rock radio first emerged during this whole era. The album was no longer a collection of singles, but it was actually the idea of recording a group of songs. Um, at one time with the idea that somehow maybe they can be connected, that there was a string that ran through them, maybe not thematically, but certainly from a from in, an instrumentation point of view. The greatest rock album of all time, perhaps, was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band because it was the first album to include lyrics. It had cover art. There was... There was something, and, and from a musical point of view, it simply redefined what an artist could do inside of a 40-minute album. It was completely different. Uh, it was the era of the emergence of the rock festival that did not happen beforehand. There were jazz festivals, admittedly, but the first rock festivals took place uh, during this particular time. I can go through all the different music genres, everything from punk to prog rock to FM rock radio. They were all part of this particular era, you know, um, and a list of artists and all the rest. I think what really stands the test of time is that when you play some of the songs from that era, they kind of tell you what it was all about. Some of the greatest rock songs of all time came from that era. Satisfaction from the Stones, uh, a whole lot of love from Led Zeppelin. Uh, like a Rolling Stone from Bob Dylan, you know, it, it, and we can go on and on and on. It It is the greatest era in music because it was spurred by the innovation of young people uh, creating music that defined what they wanted to hear through their own voice, not through somebody else's. Uh, I'm going to give you, yeah, for sure I'll give you that. And I mean, in terms of production, George R. R. Martin and what he did with the Beatles with overdubbing and working in full symphonies. And, and I mean, before the Beatles came along, who, who would have thought, like on Penny Lane, who would have thought that the French horn would make an appearance in such a landmark popular song? And I mean, the 60s well, is where they really started dabbling with things and, and, and yeah. took, took all the power out of the hands of just bass, guitar and drums and really started to work in some different stuff. Right. Let me just use that's a really good. Let's just use that. George Martin was the producer of the Beatles. Yeah. When the Beatles arrived at the Abbey Road Studios in the early 60s, the recording engineers all wore lab coats. And you've got this picture, right, of these guys with black rim glasses walking yeah. around, uh, pressing buttons on recording machines. In walks these guys, the first boy band, really, the Beatles, mm -hmm. with their crazy fashions and all the rest. And working with this old-time producer created this new pop music. The great thing about Martin is that he wanted, he wanted to facilitate change. He heard the innovation. He just helped them put it down on tape. You spin the, the spin the 
clock later to 1967, and they're recording the Sgt. Pepper record. I'm going to use one song as an example, and that's A Day in the Life. And besides the different song parts that Lennon and McCartney brought into this whole thing, McCartney, McCartney was listening to avant-garde composers, and particularly on the classical music side, and that these composed, this classical music can make this cacophony of noise. So George Martin challenged, and, and Paul did it as well too, Paul had his vision of having a 90-piece orchestra in the studio that improvised. And to classical music musicians, they said, we can't do that. No, we, we play the notes. Because otherwise, it's just going to be a, just, it's going to be a traffic jam. It's going to be a, a mess of a sound. You can't get 90 musicians together and tell them to improvise. But McCartney says, no. And so he basically direct his. So George Martin wrote sheet music for this whole thing, and they envision this winding up like it's coming to the end of the world type of sound. And if you've heard that part in a day of the like word, it winds up like it's coming right. to this end. And then they finish it with that note. It's that I can't remember what the chord is. Where I think there's three pianos and a harmonium, four different keyboards played at the same time. And they play that one note and they let it sustained. And in the studio, what they ended up doing as, as it, as it started to diminish, they potted up, they potted up the board as high as they could push it until the notes literally disappeared. And you can hear studio noise and creaking. When you listen to it now and think about nothing around it was like that. You have to listen to it with awe that these guys had thought how can we push music what can we do that's never been done before what new noise can we possibly create now that sense of innovation still lives today don't get me wrong but in the 60s that was typical of what was going on they were taking conventional music and say no how can we change it it was the way that hendrix played the guitar it's bob dylan writing a six-minute opus not a three-minute pop tune those type of things taking place. It was saying things in music that never had been said before. As my teacher once told me that rock music or pop music is music made by young people that piss off your parents. And the minute that your mom and dad like the music, it is no longer rock music. And I use rock music in the broadest, right. the broadest terms here. That's what the 60s was. It was the music of young people. That's what Motown was. Motown wasn't mom and dad's music. It was made by teenagers, you know? And if, if I may, Paul, it's so funny you say that. My uh, my stepdad, um, he lives up in Timmins, and he said that when uh, uh, Satisfaction came out from the Rolling Stones, he, had, uh, he got a copy of it on vinyl, and he was just a little kid. And yeah. uh, he, his mom wouldn't let him listen to it in the house. And so he had a, a super long extension cord that he plugged in into the house and then he went out into his shed. And so it was running across the fucking snow. And you I mean, he'd been at Timmins, it's like five feet of snow, but he'd go out there and he'd listen to it, freezing his ass off, just listening to satisfaction in the shed. Cause he wasn't allowed to listen to it in the house. I, <laughs> it was sex rock. That's what she called it. Sex rock. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. And I kind of look back in that era and I said, we don't have anything like that. I disagree. You have to look for it a little bit harder. I think that's what it yeah. is. Those oh wow moments that just totally blew you away, you know, but back then things were simpler. I go back to that whole thing where I said that, the, you know, my, my television universe was six channels on TV yeah. and there was an AM dial with five, six formats. That was it. 
the 60s were a part of that. But as I think things exploded like a volcano when it came to music and innovation, instrumentation and all that stuff. So. Yeah, the 60s, I, like, I yeah. mean, it's almost like it has a bit of an unfair advantage in that, you know, if you look at now, there's so much less that or so much less that somebody could do for the first time. There's, there's yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to pioneer now. And Paul, I, I you do. Would you agree with it? Doesn't doesn't look like you're agreeing with me there. Uh, I'm not sure. I think I think part of the part of my thing is as I studied, you know, music and all the rest. Part of it was the pipeline, how we receive music. And the pipeline now is wider than it's ever been before. It's called the internet. And it's as big as as much music you can stuff down it. But as I said, back in the 60s, it was AM radio. And before that, radio wasn't as prevalent. It was it was records. And so, right. you know, how much you heard was a matter of how much money you had, how much you could spend and how many records were released And the music industry back in the, in the forties and fifties was in its, it was in its infancy. So, you know, but now it's just like, you, you can't help, you know, watch television one time, you know, watch television carefully and see how much music is played on television oh god in commercials and during yeah. tv shows as a as a backing to all shows it's incredible i met an artist one time in an elevator and she says all i do is write music music scores and soundtracks and i realized that's an industry unto itself yep. you know what i mean we may not call it music because it doesn't have verse chorus melody anything else but it's music you know, and it's so much different now than it was then. It's just bigger. The pipeline is yeah. wider and, and we have access to it so much more easily than we ever did before. Money is no longer as much of a concern as it used to be. So, Well, that's a wrap, I guess, guys. I, I saw an idea one. come up. <laughs> I saw an idea come up. I don't know whose it was uh, yesterday for a good one. And that was earworms. I don't know if anybody's mm. interested in doing one on earworms, but I... Oh boy, have I got a bunch! Yeah, so I don't know if I'm anybody can to play put with a that playlist together. Yeah, that I don't even want to start thinking about like torture. <laughs> I know, right? It will take people forever to get through the Spotify list because the first song will be playing in their head for six weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's your first earworm? <laughs> the first one that comes to mind: hmm. "Loving You" by Minnie Ripperton. That song is evil. It's pure evil. <laughs> it is what every good earworm is supposed to be. It's so bad, but it just sticks. But, but she hits a high note in that song. That's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. By oh, the yeah. way, tr uh, true fact, uh, Maya Rudolph is Minnie Ripperton's daughter. Really? Oh, really? Maya Rudolph um, from Saturday Night Live fame. Wow. I did not uh, know. Her that's yeah, her daughter, yeah. Yeah. I love Maya no, Rudolph. Kidding. She's hilarious. Yeah. She's fantastic, yeah. You'd have to have a good sense of humor if your mother's biggest accomplishment was loving you. I mean, good <laughs> lord. <laughs> wow. So I, I don't know if you guys want to play with earworms. I'm very sorry. Cool. I'm very oh, yeah. sorry to whichever of the three of you is going to be singing that song later in the day because you know it's going to happen. You know, I don't have an earworm list. I'll, I'll work on it, but maybe what I'll do is if I can't come up with a list, I'll sing all these songs for you. There, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. And then you'll, and, and we'll remove, you know, the idea of them being earworms because I just heard your eardrums singing them. Paulie's going to ruin earworms next Friday. I give Hamilton a shout out to Ian Thomas, Painted Ladies. Oh, earworm material. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>
feeling for mama. Songs you can't get out of your head. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. So yeah. I don't know if you want to toy with that for next week, but uh, let's go with that for now anyway. Let's let's play with that one. All right. Sounds good. Have All a good right. weekend, guys. See you guys. Ciao. See you later. Thanks for listening to Black Sheep Radio with Ben McVie, Mark LaFave, and Chris Brown. Join the conversation at BSR Podcast on Facebook and at Radio underscore Sheep on Instagram and Twitter.